The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I'm thrilled to report we're back in one of my all-time favorite states this week to talk about our latest park, Jewel Cave National Monument in South Dakota. That's right. And there's a lot to uncover here because I feel like even though Jewel Cave is the third longest cave in the world and the second longest in the United States, not to mention one of the oldest national park sites in the country, not a lot of people know much about it. Yeah, that's true. I think it tends to get overshadowed mainly by other nearby South Dakota parks like Badlands, Mount Rushmore, Wind Cave, the latter of which we actually tried to visit on this same trip this past summer, but their elevators weren't working while we were passing through, so they weren't able to give cave tours. And that really sucked at first, but I've been on the Tower of Terror ride at Disney, and I know that elevator mechanics are an important thing, so by all means, get it, take your time, figure it out. I don't want to go plunging down into the cave. It's really fitting that you bring up that ride, because if you remember from our first cave episode from season one about Carlsbad Caverns, the portion of the caves where natural light mixes with the complete darkness is called the Twilight Zone. Yeah, so that Tower of Terror reference actually just fits in perfectly. But anyway, we're excited to shine a spotlight, or in this case, a lantern, on Jewel Cave National Monument. And coming up later in this episode, we're super excited because we have a special guest park ranger Mike Wiles to talk with us. So stay tuned for that. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia, a production of iHeartRadio. We sold our loft in Chicago, moved into an RV full-time, and now we're traveling the country with our dog, Finn, exploring America's national parks. (coughs) This week's episode is on Jewel Cave National Monument, which is in western South Dakota. All right, let's just address the obvious elephant in the room that I'm sure you're all wondering about. This place is Jewel Cave National Monument and not, in fact, Jewel's Cave National Monument. So it's not named for nor presided over by singer-songwriter Jewel. I know I was as shocked as you probably are now. Well, they do have one thing in common, though. Jewel Cave and Jewel, the singer, are both poetic in their own ways. (laughs) That's true. Maybe this is why I felt like such an immediate kinship with this place, though, because I'm not sure if you remember or if I ever really shared this fact with you, but 
When I was a kid, I had memorized Jules' You Were Meant For Me song, like, by heart, word for word. And not only that, in case that wasn't weird enough, but I would ride my little scooter, like my Razor scooter, around our driveway for probably hours, singing it in my both in my head and aloud. And then... On your Walkman or yeah. your, like... <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, I don't... Like, you know, those CD cassettes where it, you would... They were so delicate and you would bump it and it would just freeze or skip yeah, or something. Yeah, so Remix. I remember like vividly those lyrics and that music video, which was just wonderful. <laughs> it really was. Um, and you've been meant to belt out at karaoke, too. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like a go-to sing-along song for me, especially now in a karaoke venue. Because last time I sang this song was actually our last night in Chicago in 2018. We were out bar hopping with a couple of our best friends from Chicago, Louise and Maggie, you had gone home for the night, I think, because we had had a long night at that point, dinner, drinks, and stuff. But the three of us wound up going to some nearby karaoke slash cocktail bar that I had never even heard of, even though it was like half a mile or definitely less than a mile from our loft. Which is crazy. I know, crazy. I, it had blended in with like the streetscape. I always assumed it was like a used furniture store or something because it had like a generic name and it kind of looked shoddy, but it really fit the vibe here. And we just moseyed up to the bar. I think Louise and Maggie had wine. I had, like, a banana bread martini, mm. which is one of their weird dessert drinks. So, like, they had classy drinks, and I had, like, liquid banana bread. And when we're all picking our karaoke songs, I was just like, I don't even need to look at the book. I know what I'm singing. It's Jewel. You were meant for me. And even though I was already an emotional wreck going in, so her music did not help the situation one bit. <laughs> yeah, that really was a, a difficult time. I mean, especially for you, for both of us, but yeah. like more so just that, you know, I left before the emotions ran uh, rampant because before Jewel. I had yeah. to, yeah, I couldn't handle it. But <laughs> no. um, fortunately, Jewel Cave has nothing to do with any of that. Uh, so we can easily transition <laughs> away from this emotional wreck um, type yeah. of topic. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but it's funny how I'm always learning these strange musical facts about you, like when you wrote a rap song about Hades in the fifth grade, and now how you memorialized and memorized Jewel. Mm, yeah, it is very strange when you think about it. Even more so, just the fact that I somehow always finagle these embarrassing facts into episodes about national parks um, on a near constant basis. But back to the cave. <laughs> Let's sure. start with uh, some numbers because they're even more impressive than Matt's karaoke skills. Oof. True. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I set a pretty low bar, let's be honest. You don't need to hear me sing, Jewel. History. So Jewel Cave is the third longest cave in the world. It's got about 200 miles of mapped passageways, which puts it behind only Sistema Sac Actun in Mexico and Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky, which we talked about earlier this season. Yeah, so that makes Jewel Cave the second longest in the U.S., significantly longer than any other well-known caves like Wind Cave National Park and Carlsbad Caverns National Park. Yeah, it was first discovered in 1900 by a couple of prospectors, Frank and Albert Michaud, which is exciting and great that they stumbled across this place, but less great that they blew up an expanded cave entrance with dynamite. Yeah, but what they found was, like, spectacular. I mean, it was unlike anything either of them had ever seen. Um, it was dark, ominous, cavern-lined mm -hmm. with shimmering calcite crystals, uh, which were just so ambient and beautiful that they— uh, immediately named it Jewel Cave. I mean, yeah, what else? It's the most straightforward, literal, sensible name I've ever heard. And the whole scene really just reminds me of the crystal mines from Snow White, those like kind of shimmering crystals and 
dark, um, like magic, loved it all. And if we're going down that route, I think Frake and Albert were probably like Doc and Happy if we're comparing them to dwarves, which I am. Okay. And I, I feel like the other dwarves were all potentially offensive. Like they're all these kind of drastic stereotypes that don't really make sense. But let's go with these two, Doc and Happy. Yeah, Doc and Happy had dynamite. <laughs> Um, so they wanted to capitalize on their discovery and turn the cave into a tourist attraction um, so they could earn money. Uh, they wound up building little pathways inside the cave and uh, a lodge. And to make it even more appealing, they even established an organization called the Jewel Cave Dancing Club in 1902. Sounds like a fun time. Yeah, I feel like that sounds like a, one of those like hipster-esque like, cocktail bars now. Yeah. You know? It, it I like has a name. place. I think there's a place in Chicago that could definitely make this right. work. Like, I could see it as, like, this kind of quasi-speakeasy, because it needs to be dark and tucked away to fit the cave name, and then also have these shimmering colors, reminiscent of crystals, and... Stalagmite and stalactite? Mm, that would, I think, be really bad for a dancing club setting. Yeah, People would get hurt. A liability? Big liability, Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it, it's a good idea, especially when you're wanting to attract that very specific niche of people interested in both dancing and caving. And that's which, what they wanted you know, to do. They wanted to do that, too. But sadly for them, but great for everyone else, their idea never caught on, and they were not able to monetize this. However, all this hoopla did garner the attention of President Theodore Roosevelt. And he, yep, he's always coming in for the rescue. (laughs) And he protected the cave by naming it Jewel Cave National Monument way back in 1908, several years before the National Park Service was even established. Wow. One of the great things about this place um, is that once it was owned by the National Park Service and it was created, uh, park rangers were able to give cave tours in ways that were safe and informative, as opposed to tours led by to money-hungry pyros. Right. Yeah, this sounds much better. And one of the most amazing tidbits about all this is how little everybody knew about the cave at the time of the discovery and National Monument status. They only knew about a couple miles, in fact, when it first uh, was created or first established until the Park Service employed a couple local rock climbers and cavers, Herb and Jan Kahn, were fearless heroes in my eyes. I could never do something like this. I could never be a professional caver. They started exploring the cave in depth, literally, in 1959, and they continued doing so for two decades. Two decades. <laughs> That's nuts. Ultimately mapping more than 64 additional miles. And it hasn't stopped there either. Uh, the park is constantly being mapped by new passageways, even today. And they've since added an elevator to take visitors down there to the half-mile scenic loop cave tour. Yeah. I, you got to admire the work that these cavers do, if cavers is even a word, because my spell check didn't seem to think so. But <laughs> it, 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 the cavers, anyway, sounds less outrageous than like cave people or something. So that's what I'm going to use. But the work that they do is just so astonishing and so impressive and especially intimidating. My God, it's like my worst claustrophobic nightmare. This is a world that's just pitch black and completely quiet and solitary. It's the same temperature and humidity year round, which I think can be a good thing in winter, I guess, especially in South Dakota. But it's really just the ultimate isolation and such an unnatural and wild frontier for humans, really. Yeah, especially since people exploring and mapping the cave today frequently camp out underground for days at a time. <laughs> um, they must be, like, completely fearless and not at all afraid of the dark. Yeah, that's that's true. I remember while we were on our cave tour here with our little group, there was this one little girl in the group who asked the ranger, what happens if someone down in the cave gets hurt or gets lost or something like that? And I was like, oh, girl, I don't, I don't even want to know the answer to that question. It's, 
scary, you know? It's a very um, foreign, like, terrifying realm. And I'm like, oh, don't even want to think about that. But then the answer wound up being, like, normal and rational. Like, the park just does periodic and regular communication checks. So if they don't hear back, they'll go down and, and find them and just rectify the situation, which was reassuring. But still, this cave, this cave life is not for me. When we visited Jewel Cave, it was in August, and we were driving the RV back east after being in Wyoming for most of July. Uh, our friend Kendall, actually uh, from Chicago, mm-hmm. he came down and flew out. Uh, this was our neighbor that lived down uh, the hall from us, and it was just really cool because we just, last minute, he said, hey, how are you guys doing? And uh, what are you guys up to? When can I join you? I said, you could join us after we are in Cheyenne. Just fly out and we'll drive back through Chicago. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, I really wasn't expecting it to be that quick. And But he did it. And it was just one of those really great times because we got to go to a lot of places um, in between, like the Badlands, Mount Rushmore, and Jewel Cave along the way. Yeah, it was a great, a great time. And altogether, it wound up being this really epic Americana suburb road trip, I think. All that was really missing was like Miley Cyrus song, Party in the USA, like blasting at full volume with our windows down. It really was our own little party, and we had a great time. Yeah. And it was especially nice to see Kendall again. Um, he was our first official guest in the RV um, that we had along like a traveling route. Um, we've had people visit and see it before, but no one really stayed with us like Kendall did. Um, it really made me feel like home again because we got to bond and just talk and catch up. And mm-hmm. this was like uh, my best friend in Chicago. Like I would oh. just go down into the the alleyway where his like workshop was and I would talk to yeah. him. I would just, you know, really relax and have such an amazing time with his company all mm-hmm. the time. I like how you, you guys would hang out in the alley. Oh, yeah. It was a nice alley. It's not as creepy as it sounds. Yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, it was romantic romantic in my oh. eyes because of the way that um, our loft was set up, you know? I mean, when we say yeah. it was our dream loft, I mean, it was. was. Um, and we had, you know, Crazy Kendall. <laughs> crazy Kendall. Crazy with a K. Yes. Um, and it was really nice, too, because this was more than a year into RV. Or no, it was about a year into RV living. He was the first kind of friend to come out and like actually spend the time and put the effort in, which is like, oh, it's about time not to like put pressure on our other friends and stuff. And I'm like, you guys, we miss you and you, you miss us. You're constantly telling us you miss us. So how about you follow through? And it's that? kind of hard though, because like we are sure. like, like getting darts being thrown at a moving target. Right. Yeah. But I'm glad this worked out, and it's definitely something we were needing and missing, like you said. And we had a great time visiting all these places together. Like, we started in Cheyenne, Wyoming, at Cheyenne Frontier Days, this epic rodeo and carnival, which was spectacular and crazy. And then going through, like, Rapid City and Des Moines, Iowa, and, of course, this stop in Jewel Cave. Yeah, we decided to go uh, book an RV site in Rapid City. Uh, which is the hub of the western part of South Dakota and accessible to all kinds of popular places like Badlands and Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I'm obsessed with Rapid City. I've been a few times at this point, and it's such a great place, thriving. There's so much to do there, and just the proximity to all these wonderful places is extraordinary, hard to beat. It's barely an hour from Jewel Cave, and the route to and from is also just super scenic. You drive through the Black Hills and these sprawling pine forests and also these adorable historic towns like Custer. Cave. 
Yeah, so Jewel Cave was our first stop on this trip because it's the closest to the Wyoming border. We went on a weekday and didn't make any advanced reservations for any cave tours because you can only do that on a first-come, first-basis uh, right there on site, which is nice and it's fair. Yeah, I think I actually prefer it that way because when we were at Carlsbad Caverns together, I remember how annoyingly impossible it was to get tickets to most of the cave tours because all the tickets had been snatched up like weeks prior or up to months prior in some cases. Like, I'm sorry, but I don't I don't make cave plans like a year in advance, okay? Like, I'm more of an impromptu caver, I guess. True. Um, yeah, and we got to Jewel Cave in the late morning, and we were easily able to get three tickets to the historic lantern tour, um, which was a lot of fun. It was a real blast from the past. Yeah. Oh, definitely was. I love any activity where I get to hold, like, this old-timey lantern and feel like a cave mining dwarf. Probably if I was going to be uh, one of the seven dwarfs, I think I would be dopey, let's be honest. Also, I think I'm—I know currently as I'm recording, I'm wearing a hat that makes me look like dopey. It's like one of those winter, <laughs> like, teal blue hats. It's a joke, but— It really is. Um, no, but uh, it's also worth noting that the tour is the only offered during the summer, uh, from mid-June through Labor Day. And that's mostly because there's an unpaved outdoor trail you need to take to get to the historic entrance with a bunch of uneven steps. So I could see it getting really icy and snowy, and so you just don't want to fall. Right. You don't want to be slipping down into the canyon, that's for sure. But our tour was great. We got our tickets, and we just had to wait around for about an hour before the tour started. So we explored the visitor center, which was awesome, and had tons of information about the cave and the park, including this shocking fact that Jewel Cave is apparently— what's called a breathing cave, meaning that air exits and enters the cave as atmospheric pressure changes, kind of similar to how tides ebb and flow in the ocean. So I felt like I was walking into like Earth's lung. It was crazy. We also learned a lot about the geology of this cave uh, because all of those shimmering crystals didn't just show up overnight. No, not at all. Not at all. Most of the formation of the cave started with limestone deposited 350 million years ago, followed by more limestone and sandstones, all of which were eroded away during the geologic uplift as the Black Hills were forming and rising. Passageways started to take shape during during the Cenozoic period as uplift continued and lowered the water table enough to clear things out. And millions of years after that, layers of calcite started to form along the cave walls about 2.5 million years ago. I mean, it's a long time. Um, this is where those crystals started to form, along with lots and lots of other cave formations like flowstone and stalactites and cave pearls and boxworks. Yeah. And also a super rare cave formation called a hydromagnesite balloon. And it's pretty much what it sounds like. They're made when gas inflates a malleable earthen substance. So essentially these were inflated when portions of the cave were still delicate and pliable enough to be maneuvered by gases. Long story short, there's a ton to learn down there and not all underground. Apparently, there was a major forest fire here in 2000 that burned 90% of the monument. And you can still see lots of the remnants of those like ravaged trees in the forest surrounding the visitor center and along the road leading to the park. Yeah. Before we got here, I'd never even heard of this fire or knew that happened. But it's like immediately and abundantly clear as you're driving through. You're like, something happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's horrific. It was called the Jasper Fire, and it spread through more than 83,000 acres of this beautiful Black Hills land. The park was evacuated, of course, and closed for several days, and National Park Service employees actually moved computers and documents into the cave to keep it safe, just in case. The visitor center itself wound up being untouched, fortunately. Yeah, this was uh, also part of the reason why most of the surface hiking trails were closed when we were there. Um, there aren't many trails, 
but they are routinely closed because burned trees are constantly falling on windy days, and it's really potentially dangerous. Yeah, and also there's really a huge difference between this Jasper fire and natural fires that happen in this part of the country, usually caused by things like lightning strikes. These actually have lots of benefits in the life cycle of the forest because not only do they thin out the forest so that trees aren't densely packed together competing for sunlight, but fire adds nutrients into the soil that helps plants and animals. Yeah, the Jasper fire, on the other hand, was arson, uh, apparently by a Wyoming woman who was driving through and tossed a match on the ground for some reason. <laughs> just, to, just to cause trouble or litter and then burn the forest to the ground. Who knows? Yeah. yeah, when we come back from this short break, we'll head underground at Jewel Cave. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, 
both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia. And this week's episode is on Jewel Cave National Monument in South Dakota. Tour. So here's how the cave tour worked for us when we got there. We got tickets right away, waited around the visitor center for a little while, had some snacks from the gift shop, and then we wound up having to drive out of the visitor center parking lot about a mile down the street to the historic entrance parking lot. We didn't realize it was all separate at first, but that worked out just fine. The tour started at this old park ranger cabin from the 1930s, led by an excellent park ranger guide who pointed out all these interesting things in the cabin, like a vintage stove. Um, there was fireplaces, uh, actually a fireplace. And from here, the group headed outside of the cabin, and we all lined up in a circle to get our lanterns. Yeah. Then we meandered down this little path, down some steps, and along a canyon wall to the main entrance of the cave. And since this is, in fact, a breathing cave, you can actually feel cool air pouring out of it. Yes. And since we were there on a hot August afternoon, it felt amazing. Like, all-natural, pure air conditioning. It was great. Yeah. The historic entrance has a locked gate for obvious reasons to keep out people and animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once the guide unlocked it, we all went inside and had them light our lanterns one at a time. Uh, It was nice and cool inside at a consistent temperature, about like 49 degrees, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, we, you know, you bring in some light layers. Uh, You definitely need some sturdy hiking shoes because these tours definitely require more maneuvering um, because there's definite uneven and rocky surfaces. Right, right. Yeah, so this tour was super immersive and it was cool because we got to feel like what it was like to be the earliest explorers here who were navigating these narrow, dark passageways for the very first time. There were a lot of steep stairs that went up and down through tight openings and also low ceilings, so watch your head. I think I bumped my head at least once, but I just played it off. Oh, yeah. Played it cool. Absolutely. I mean, ultimately, though, the tour leads to these wide-open chambers that have plenty of room, like the Heavenly Room. Uh, That got its name from this crystal formation on the ceiling that apparently looks like Madonna and a child. Mm, Gorgeous, yeah. This is also the part of the tour where everyone kind of sits down somewhere and the guide has us all turn out our lanterns so that we're in total darkness. I did this when I was at Carlsbad Cabins for the first time, and it's always such a surreal experience to be in utter darkness like this. You could, like, literally put your hand right in front of your face, and you'll never see it. You won't see it then. Your eyes will never adjust because there's no light whatsoever. So there's nothing for your eyes to adjust to. And it's it's like the wildest experience. Yeah, I mean, it's really... Not a scary thing. (laughs) It's actually quite calming and in this natural and primitive way. Yeah, it it is. This tour takes about one hour and 45 minutes total. And altogether, it's like half a mile round trip. But it is marked as strenuous since there are steep passages and narrow openings. And it requires climbing some wooden steps that are essentially just ladders. Like you're, you're using your hands for a lot of it too. They're not just like traditional stairs. And there's also an age limit of... Eight years old, like you need to be at least eight to do this. Ooh, another thing to point out is that there's white nose syndrome. Uh, This is a a disease that affects bats in certain parts of the country in certain caves, and this is one of them. 
Um, it's harmless to humans, but we can transmit it. So if you're wearing the same shoes right. or clothing in one cave and then bring it to another, that's how it transmits. Yeah, so you have to be mindful of that. So when you're leaving Jewel Cave, they actually have you walk through this cleansing solution to, to like clean and sanitize your shoes. But still, you should absolutely not wear them in any other cave just for the, for the sake of the bats. Better safe than sorry. Yeah, we didn't see any bats while we were here, um, but they're definitely the park's most popular animal. Um, there, I think there's nine different species mm-hmm. of bats that live in this cave, and six of them live there full year round. Yeah, we actually really didn't see many animals here in general. When you now that we think about it, but other wildlife that lives in the area includes white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk, and eastern cottontail rabbits. So, basically, all the cute things you'd expect to see dancing along in the background of a Snow White song, basically. Which fits. And also, uh, there are a few more tours you can do at Jewel Cave, too, including the scenic tour, which is the most popular. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also easier and less intimidating uh, since it's a paved trail with lighting and you can access it on the elevator directly from the visitor center. Yeah, the reason it's so popular is because this is where all those jewels are, like the the cave's namesake specimens, or most of them anyway. Because when people think of Jewel Cave, they think of these shimmering crystals. And when you do this tour, you'll see a ton of them. It's just super bright and colorful. It Honestly, it looks like a Lisa Frank folder down here. It's super vivid. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, there's also wild caving tours um, since every national park cave has something intense like that. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't done any of these yet because I'm terrified and I don't. I honestly don't know if I have the, the bravery to do you it. Do but it. maybe one day. This one requires a hard hat and a headlamp and lots and lots of crawling. The main reason I think I want to do this one in particular, though, is because the cave formations here have the most amazing names, including Hurricane Corner, Martha's Kettle, Roller Coaster, and Brain Drain. I mean, they all sound like a Six Flags water park or something. They're 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 great. (laughs) I half expect them to sell churros down there. (laughs) City. What I really want to talk about is our lifestyle within the RV. And it's really this thing that um, can be difficult to discuss or talk about because you only have so much space. You know, we live in 26 Mm. feet of space by about like, I don't know, eight to nine feet wide. And so when people travel with us or when we're with other people, it gets a little bit harder to navigate our normal, like daily lifestyle. Yeah, And finding that is kind of a little bit more difficult. So we try to make it really homey for visitors while, like, also, like, laying this in, like, education of them, like, how we move around because it's not easy. No, and people are fascinated by that, so they get to experience it firsthand. This is our first kind of a test run, I guess, of having, like, a a guest for longer than a few hours. Yeah, and Kendall did great. I mean, I remember at one point he actually just, he just jumped up on the RV roof and he laid on there uh, while we were in Cheyenne. And it was just great because I'm like, yes, you are using the RV, you're living it, you're loving it, like perfect. And that's the best part about Kendall. He just makes himself right at home and he knows how to respect like boundaries and things like that. And so uh, that was probably one of my favorite parts about this is like finding that like appropriate guest. Um, 
And when oh, yeah. we're on the move, it's a lot easier to have multiple people because we're getting in and out of the RV all the time and, you know, we're driving. So, like, you know, you can lay back. Yeah. Um, it was the first time I didn't have – like, I, he took, like, the wheel for, like, five hours. And I got to sit in the back and experience it for the first time, mm-hmm. what it you felt like to, to What it feels chauffeur. like to be me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's crazy. It's nice, right? Yeah. I'm still waiting for the day that you uh, <laughs> take the wheel, which you've been Maybe. talking about. I've been promising that for, like, a year and a half, dangling in front of you like a carrot. Yeah. Well, it's a carrot I'm running after, so. Well, I don't know if you can get it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we really care about how we travel and how to keep our personal spaces. And so when people come in, we just, we want to help guide them into our lifestyle, which mm-hmm. this was the first time we had that chance. And so we made mistakes and there's things that we sure. could have done better and, you know, but basically... Uh, it was a learning experience for yeah. us. It was fun, though. It was very comfy. We made it feel homey. You brought out your cocktail skills again, which you hadn't used in a while. Yeah, I've just, I was drained. I was doing rodeo after rodeo yeah. after rodeo. and That was that was so great, though. Like, yeah. one night, one of the first or second nights that Kendall's with us, and you're like, who wants cocktails? And we're both like, yes, yeah. duh, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, but talking about cocktails, um, <sighs> you know, we really got to, have our fair share in Rapid City. Yeah, we definitely do. We drink it up. I love Rapid City. So this was my, I think, third time in Rapid City. I was here first as part of a work trip, which I talked about in the Badlands episode, and that's what swept me up with this whole part of the state yeah. or part of the country and how much I love it and adore it. And then I was here again on my own, pat- only passing through, but kind of reacquainting myself with this wonderful little city in western South Dakota. And then... This I was super excited about because I got to experience it with you and with Kendall and yes. then go back to some of my favorite spots here as well as do some new things and go to some new places. Like that place that we got to go to, that uh, that mini golf at Pirate's Cove. Love Pirate's Cove. So, yeah, I was super excited. I remember driving by and seeing a Pirate's Cove mini golf, and I'm like, well, we need to do that because <laughs> I grew up— there was like a Pirate's Cove somewhere in New Hampshire where I grew up, and for me it's always been like the quintessential mini golf course— so I knew that they were kind of a chain, like a national chain, but not super ubiquitous. So they're kind of hard to find. Oh, so it would have been the same one. Di- I mean, different. It's not identical, but like the same, I guess, style and challenge level and whatnot. That's awesome. And it was great. It was a lot of fun. And I mean, I didn't do well. I did worse than I thought. But <laughs> in spite of that, it was great. Kendall won, and he like never plays mini golf. So yeah. And this RV park that we stayed at, that was only for like a day, right? It was a couple couple nights, I think. But we didn't spend much time there because obviously we're off doing stuff during the day. Yeah, it was two nights because we went there. Oh, yeah. We went mini golfing and that kind of stuff. But then we went to like Mount Rushmore and Crazy Horse, and then came back mm-hmm. to that. Oh yeah. And so we got to do a lot in Rapid City. So we um, did. I remember the hotel Alex Johnson, like Let's, rooftop bar. Yes, that's my favorite. So. That hotel is just great. It's histor- It's the most historic hotel in town. It's also huge. It's like one of the tall, one of the taller, if not the tallest, building in Rapid City. So it stands out. It has this big iconic like Alex jo- Alex Johnson sign oh, yeah. on the top of it. Hard to miss. And they have really good drinks up there too at the at the bar. And there's a substantial indoor section, and then also two different like patio decks. There's one like on the second. Like, even above the main bar, so... It was beautiful, so we sat out on the patio. We did, yeah, and they have, like, little fire pits if it gets chilly, but we were perfect. It was, like, the perfect 
like late afternoon, early evening. What was that cocktail that you got? So my favorite thing to get there, which I've had a few times at this point, is the Ye Old Manhattan. And it's called that because it's a cross between a Manhattan and an old fashioned. Love it. So elements of like both of my favorite drinks with like bourbon, blood orange liqueur, vermouth, bitters, and then cinnamon syrup, which really makes it. Yeah, that, that was just like a perfect little spot to chill for a couple minutes. And we love when we're in new cities to just grab like a cocktail and a snack. And bounce and around. jump around. Oh, yeah, yeah, and we got snacks there. Yeah. But um, by the way, yeah, this hotel is allegedly haunted. Ooh. I don't think I told you that while we were there because I didn't want to frighten you. Oh. But— um, um, You would just scare yourself. Yeah, I would probably just scare myself. But when I—so I stayed here. I spent a night here like in 2016 by myself. And— that's when I learned about it, and I was—I learned about it, like, the night I was checking in, and I'm like, wow, I wish you wouldn't have told me that, and I'm not going to be able to sleep. But I think there's, like, one specific floor that's supposedly the haunted floor, and there's been, like, hotel staff that have, like, heard things late at night and, like, run off the floor, and I'm like, what? That's, that's dreadful. <laughs> so I was, like, on pins and needles when I was sleeping here and listening for any noises or, like, creaks or, you know, footsteps running down the hall or anything like that. It, it's okay. Like I was. I'm coming for you. I no. I'm coming for you. I wound up being fine. <laughs> Did you hear that in the background? Or is like? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I slept perfectly um, fine. Yeah, but then we jumped to that little like coffee shop because after the cocktail during the day, the you got to jump over to the co- uh, <laughs> cocktail shops, cocktail. coffee shops, um, which would be like what was called a Harriet and Harriet Oak? and Oak. Yes, obsessed with that place. Yeah. Yeah, it's and so cool. inside the building, it was so cool because there was that VW van parked inside. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, home. Yeah, and you can just go in and sit in it. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go hang out. It's pretty awesome. And they have great food, like really impressive snacks and dishes and stuff. Like I had like a quinoa breakfast bowl here one yes. time I was visiting. And then they have like really interesting pastries and like burritos and then like wonderful coffee drinks and lattes. And like, I think they have Thai coffee, which is my favorite thing. I cannot not get that whenever I see it. And a lofted second floor. Right? Yeah, it's, it's really so spacious. Cool. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really open, great for a plan, lots of like creative space. It'd be a great place to work while you're like, you know, traveling through. Yes, agreed. And then after this, we literally just walked to the end of the block to see the brand new President Obama statue. Yes. Which they, with the city erected. So Rapid City is known for these presidential statues. Every president has some specific statue, like, position somewhere in town in the downtown area on like a different intersection. And so it was a big deal for the Obama unveiling, which had only happened like a few weeks prior to us being here. So the timing was great. And this one was awesome. So the Obama statue shows him holding hands with Sasha Obama when she was like much younger than she currently is. Yeah, because that was that iconic image when he walked out on stage for his presidential like acceptance speech. Right. Yeah. That was cool. Beautiful like – the really good statue, the one that memorialized uh, his presidency. Yeah, I loved it. And then I think from here we continued to wander, and we wound up having dinner at this restaurant called Cole, K-O-L. Mm. Loved Catching. it. Again, I had been here before and knew I loved it and wanted to go back with you guys. And it was wonderful. It's like a very modern, stylish restaurant with, like, wood-fired food and great cocktails and snacks and stuff. And we had amazing old fashions here as well. Yeah, I remember uh, Kendall, he was like, how do you make your old fashions? Because, you know, when you're yeah. traveling, you have to ask. Because if you start to say muddled, 
I'm not getting it. Let me grab <laughs> no. a beer. And then she was like, oh, yeah, we do this and this. And I was like, perfect. Yes. So mm-hmm. they, they know how to make their old fashions, their cocktails. They're not like outdated, yes. which is nice. With like refreshing. a perfect sphered ice. I think they had like ice mm-hmm. spheres, which I did. love to see. That, yeah, that's a good sign. Any big ice so that way it doesn't melt <sighs> and water down your I know. drink. Right. Yeah, so that was awesome. Great time in Rapid City. And you, like, on your work trip, you did much more yeah. than what we got to do. Um, so what were a couple of those things? Well, I also went to, when I was here for my workshop, I had dinner at Cole, and then I went around the corner to this arcade bar, this subterranean arcade bar, which is a blast, obviously. Yeah, why didn't we do that? That was I stupid. Know. Yeah. I don't know. I think I mentioned it, and you guys just didn't acknowledge me. Wow. Um, and then also I went to this place, Firehouse Brewing, which is like one of the oldest brew pubs in the state, if not the oldest, just delicious. It's in this old like kind of fire depot, Ooh. really great beers and like kind of local food. You can get like bison burgers and stuff like that. Really solid, great, great vibe. And then I also loved the Journey Museum and Learning Center, which was this really immersive and incredible like Native American museum. And I would love to go back there. and I could spend hours and hours there. There was so much to see and exhibits you could wander through, just learning about the history of the Native peoples of the area, of the Dakotas. Because, mm, yes. I mean, that's that's what this land was, was built on, and that's what the South Dakota is known for. And it's you see it everywhere. So it's nice to see it honored in this way in a, in a beautiful venue like this. So we sh- next time we're passing through, we'll have yeah, to go back there. We'll have more yeah. time, that's for sure, because we won't be rushing across the country. Well, now we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk to Mike Wiles, Jewel Cave's Chief of Resource Management. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia. And today we're talking about Jewel Cave National Monument in South Dakota. We are excited to have our first park ranger on today, and that is Mike Wiles, Jewel Cave's Chief of Resource Management. Mike spoke to us over the phone um, from the offices in Jewel Cave National Monument. So your title is Chief of Resource Management. Could you explain to us what Correct. that means? That means I oversee all the resource management, both cultural and natural, um, including our uh, museum collection. And um, whether and that includes things uh, that are on the surface, down in the cave, whether it's uh, veg management, uh, you know, exotic uh, plant management, or cave exploration, or um, uh, scientific research. Wow, kind of the whole gamut of things. Right. Wow. I mean, it's only the second longest uh, longest cave in America, so that's not a big that's not a big job at all, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the third longest in the world. Yeah, yeah that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's truly fascinating, and that's why we loved uh, coming to Jew Cave National Monument this year. Um, so when we were talking, uh, Matt and I, we were just like, this is such a, an amazing opportunity to talk with like a, a real life park ranger. Oh, yeah. in a way we're so because, excited. Yeah. Um, we are. You're like our rock stars. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and, um, and really, because just what you know, this environment needs is just more people to protect it, um, and so we want to be better allies to that. And one thing oh, that we've seen great. is we've heard that you've toured quite a bit of the caves yourself. Like, how far ahead in the caves have you explored, um, and what have you learned about the place through your exploration? Oh boy. Um, well, first of all, we we refer to it as a cave, not. Not in the plural. Okay. Um, although it's a very big cave system, uh, we've got uh, 208 miles right now, and um, back in '59 we only had about two miles. So all of this has happened in the last several decades. Um, it's it's gone from being a very small cave that uh, people, some people thought, should be closed because it didn't really live up to Park Service standards to um, being a very well-known world-class cave. So I, I got involved in it back around 1979, I believe, possibly the year before uh, for a couple of trips. And um, uh, gradually became interested in it, um, 
contacted Herb and Jan Kahn, who were the explorers at the time, yes. and they invited me in to uh, accompany them, and I became, they became, I kind of became the person that they were looking for to take over, and they were my mentors for a couple of years, and uh, so I, I followed in their footsteps with day, day trips that lasted, oh, 10 to 12 hours, and as we... Uh, continued exploring they uh, we got farther and farther out and it turned into 14 and 16 and 18 hour trips the distance to the far end of the cave for me at that time if you were to go straight to the end of the cave was about uh, 10 hours uh, before that before that we ever we never went all the way out uh, before we had established a camp that was only like uh, seven or eight hours in um, and then, like the next morning, we would go out and uh, another three hours to get to the end of the cave. The people that are exploring now, uh, a whole younger generation, are kind of going off in the opposite end of the cave. And I think it's taking close to, uh, to if they were to go to the very end, it's over 12 hours. Um, but they've got uh, camps along the way so that they can um, stage their efforts. Wow. The whole thing is underneath four square miles, so it it just kind of winds around. It's a maze in three dimensions, and so the sum of all those different sections of passages at all those levels totals to be two hundred and eight miles. Wow! <laughs> um, so that'll give you a little bit of an idea of the framework that we're working right. in. Uh, lots of mileage. Um, but it's all underneath a, a fairly small area. Um, and I think over the years, when we average our our rate of progress in the cave, uh, I mean, for our actual travel, it usually averages out to be about a mile an hour. Wow. Wow. I mean, I had no idea about that, that it was all within like four-ish square miles. Uh, Jewel Cave has a barometric wind. And that means that it responds to pressure changes outside. If yes. the pressure drops 1%, about 1% of the total volume of cave, including the part that hasn't been discovered, will blow out. So you can measure what the 1% is, and you can protect, protect, you can predict the volume, that, including the part that hasn't been discovered. And based on these estimates, which are much more involved than what I just described, um, we've only discovered 3% of the cave. Wow. So wow. by far, most of it is still out there to be discovered. And I think that's one of the, one of the factors that really ignites our imagination. Um, you know, we, none of us will ever get out to the end of, end of the cave because it's so much bigger than, than we can do in a generation's time. And right now we're on a third generation of exploration. Yeah, and you've only been doing this yeah. for 40 years. Incredible. And, <laughs> and well, so, I, mean, I, I was actively exploring for 30 of those 40 years, and not, the, not the last 10. And, uh, and this younger, un, younger crew is, has been doing most of the work in the last 10 years. Well, that's incredible. Yeah. So I, I was just wondering, like, what are some of the biggest struggles or challenges of caving when you're that deep into the earth like that? Well, um, I think it's the sheer duration of travel to get out to the end. Um, even Mammoth Cave, um, 
has so many entrances that it's only like three or four hours from any given entrance to, to get to the end of the cave there. Oh, wow. And um, that puts a different uh, perspective on things. I'll say that, at least for me, and I think for most of the others, that as we become familiar with the cave, we learn all the learn how to maneuver through all the little climbs and the crawls and the twists and the turns. There's a lot of unique moves that you've got to learn. And once you've learned it well, it becomes almost automatic. And it's it's so much fun to just have that self-confidence to know how to step across this rock and then slide over to uh, this wall and then clamber up into wow. a uh, a, ho- a hole on a ledge and then screw <laughs> through that. Um, and I think most of the cavers have uh, d- developed this appreciation for the journey itself. So oh, they yeah. go exploring to find all that unknown stuff out there that we know must be there because of the wind. But we, and, and that that's the reason we go. And we, and sometimes we wish we didn't have to make the long journey but I think most of us have come to grips with the journey is half the fun. Oh, yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, in Jewel Cave, we don't have streams or rivers that could carry away uh, human waste or that could regenerate uh, impacts after a flood, you know, because of, of flooding or something like that. Yeah. So we have to carry out all of our, our wastes, all of our garbage, all of our human waste, and... Um, that that's kind of hard to you. So you, uh, um, like when you pee, you pee into a bottle and then you've got to carry out all those bottles and they weigh about two pounds per quart. And, uh, if you've got a lot of quarts that you, that you have to haul yeah. out, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of extra weight that you really would rather not have to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> that's super important because of like the ecosystems, you don't want to change that yeah if there, was, if there was a stream there then at least at least for for peeing that would be minor you know yeah. it'd get diluted i mean animals do that outdoors it's no big deal um but we don't have that and so we can't just stash um these things away someplace and hope they'll go away because they never will Wow, that is absolutely fascinating. I mean, just yeah, I because never, like, we've never been truly caving, Urban Jan seemed like they've made a huge impact on your life. And we talked about them earlier in the episode and some of their right. exploration. Okay. But the beauty of it is how it gets passed down from generation to generation because yes. you really and, need and to have tru- that context. Truly, truly the, uh, what they did, the caves in, in, in real pragmatic terms is just a hole in the ground. And it can be dangerous if you're not prepared. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say there's no risk at all. But the attitude that they passed down as far as caring for the cave, uh, as far as respecting it, having fun while you're in there, uh, really kind of a lighthearted, satisfying spin. Um, They passed that attitude down to me and to the younger younger folks now. And um, that... Our attitude toward the cave really does make the difference, and um, we owe that to Herb and Jan. Yeah, that's really cool because I know, like, just personally and from talking with people, caves can, you know, potentially have this stigma of being terrifying, claustrophobic places. Yeah. And it's really inspiring to see that stigma be kind of broken down a little bit and 
right. applied with and more I of a lighthearted it, approach. I, I think it makes it safer. Um, you can't, you, you always have to be aware that this is a potentially dangerous place, oh, yes. but it all, it almost all hinges on you. If you have the right attitude, if you're in good caving shape, if you're prepared the way you should be, if you're working together as a team, then it's that, that you know, one of the questions you have is, uh, what do I really want people to know? And it, it's that it doesn't have to be this dangerous, um, scary place at all. Yeah, and that's great. That like I think that motivates and further inspires us and does likewise for listeners and people who are potentially considering visiting caves, whether it's for the first time or return trips or, or anything. I love that mindset. It's really okay, nice to good. kind of reset. <laughs> yeah. How does one specifically get into caving nowadays? Uh, the best way is to go caving with a friend who already does that. Um. The, and then the, the the next thing is uh, the National Speleological Society is probably the the main caving organization in this country, and they have local chapters. Not you know not in every town, but wherever cavers have gotten organized and and become part of the the NSS, um, then then they've they've established clubs that you can go to the meetings and see slideshows and get to know people and go on planned trips starting uh, from easy ones and and if you really really like it graduating on to very uh, difficult caving trips like what did what drew you to jewel cave and um like what do you find personally fascinating about jewel cave specifically when you first started when i first started I, I first started as a result of sitting in on a, a a slide presentation given by Herb and Jan. They're very mild-mannered, um, uh, unassuming people. Herb passed away several years ago. Jan is still alive in her mid-90s. Um, and they had a way of making this idea of explore, explore, exploring a cave um, making it fun and friendly rather than daring and dangerous. And, um, and a lot of people do kind of view it and treat it as daring and dangerous, but for them and for me, it was fun. And I think a lot of it was just that fun, that sense of fun that you could, um, be involved in the sense of the unexpected of not knowing what's around the next corner and, um, uh, wondering you know, how far it goes and, and even why, why does it stop here? You have a nice big passage and it just stops <laughs> and yeah. you, you want it to go, you want it to go on forever. When I, um, started caving, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I, I was uh, in school as a, um, to get a mass um, to get a bachelor's in chemical engineering, but I wasn't ready for the world. And as I interviewed with the companies, it was obvious to them that I wasn't ready either. Um, but I had gotten involved in this caving thing and I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. Um, the caving part really brought me in that, uh, gave me experience and expertise that led to me, me to be a, a tour guide at jewel cave and then as time went on, um, the park created a cave management position and I applied for and got that, that job as the cave specialist. Um, and then as t- time went on, I went back to school and I got a 
a master's in geological engineering with kind of an emphasis on hydrology. And that opened doors for me to be more involved with the kinds of projects that are going on here, going on here and, and uh, leading some of those projects too. Uh, we're a small park. We have a small staff, so we all have to wear many hats. And so as the years went by, I ended up expanding my role uh, or my role became expanded uh, to dealing with, um, uh, like I mentioned earlier, exotic plant management, consulting yes. on a highway uh, um, project that was going through the park, um, uh, doing, um, uh, handling the, the research, whether it's, uh, I don't do all the research, but still guiding uh, the research and trying to, to bring in the, uh, the studies for um, like, for instance, five years ago, the 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 cavers discovered began discovering lakes where the cave um, uh, intercepts the water table, and that's given me an opportunity to be a co-author with the USGS. And wow. um, so I was this young kid who didn't know what he wanted to do, and now I I've been, I'm able to do all this wide range of stuff. Um, even working with our museum collection and even a little bit of tribal consultation, which you, um, if you knew me, you'd say that doesn't sound like Mike at all. <laughs> um, but it's really expanded my horizons and I'm able to do so many more things than I ever even dreamed of because this caving thing kind of um, brought me into a, brought me into a place that ultimately led to um, all these other things. Wow. And, you know, I think my heart is still with the cave, but I enjoy what I'm doing in all these aspects. Uh, speechless. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're leaving us speechless. Truly, right? yeah. Very inspiring. Really cool right. to hear. I just love that there's that much passion in people who are protecting, preserving, discovering our national parks. And so we're especially excited to speak with you today, Mike Wiles. Thank yeah. you so much. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Brad. This is Parklandia. And today we're talking about Jewel Cave National Monument in South Dakota. Ecology. And we're introducing our ecological concept of disease because within cave systems, um, there's definitely a lot of uh, different particulars, but diseases is definitely important to our ecosystem in yes. multiple ways. Right. And it's a little more complex or a lot more complex than one might assume about disease. So populations within an ecosystem are always fluctuating. And one thing that can really affect an ecosystem is disease, even in just one species. Ecologists have only recently begun to realize that disease is actually an integral part of an ecosystem. In fact, there's a whole entire field of uh, disease ecology, like the study of diseases. Uh, and that's pretty hot right now. Pretty hot, yeah. But just because disease is natural, that doesn't mean their influence doesn't occasionally lead to spectacular die-offs either, and that the effects of disease in an ecosystem isn't hard to watch. Yeah, like take, for instance, white nose syndrome, uh, which has killed millions of bats in North America uh, since it was first identified in 2006. Uh, white nose syndrome is actually a fungus that grows in cool, damp places like caves. Yeah, and it infects bats while they're hibernating, leaving a white fuzz on their faces. 
And it changes the bat's behavior, waking them up from hibernation and sometimes making them do weird stuff like fly outside the cave in the daytime in the middle of winter, which is not what they should be doing. Which it kills the bats by making it difficult to hibernate, which burns through a lot of fat reserves that keep them alive until the summer. Kind of like bears. Right. And this results in the collapse of entire colonies of bats, which are really important members of cave communities, because their guano is a main source of food for species that only live in caves. A white nose syndrome was first identified in caves around Albany, New York. Um, The fungus has been steadily moving across the U.S. Uh, It was discovered to have infected Jewel Cave in about 2018 um, in the long-legged bats that live there. Right. So the National Park Service is working to reduce the risk of infection in bats here. And the National Park Service has been dealing with white nose syndrome in other cave systems that we've talked about, like Mammoth Cave and Carlsbad Caverns, by making sure visitors are educated about what white nose syndrome, which includes letting them know that they should stay out of caves and other bat habitats like mines and alert a federal or state wildlife agency if you see a bat flying around in daylight or when it's cold outside. Yeah, the Park Service is also asking visitors to decontaminate their caving and hiking gear before entering any cave. Yeah, keep everything sanitized or not like, you know, bringing disease into unaffected caves or anything like that. And although white nose syndrome and other diseases like the chytrid fungus that's decimating frog and salamander populations all over the world, it's important to remember that disease is a normal and important aspect of ecosystems. Yeah, in the case of, like, white nose syndrome, human involvement in caves has probably sped up the spread of it. Uh, But some reachers even think it's on the rise, uh, might have been brought by human-driven climate change. Uh, But change in ecosystems is inevitable. Uh, So it's good to acknowledge that disease is an important driver of change in itself. Yeah, so when, like, visiting caves, you know, you really want to make sure that you are helping protect the bats by cleaning your equipment and your shoes and your your gear uh, because we don't want uh, them to disappear or go away. No, definitely. And if you've worn shoes in another cave on another tour somewhere, be mindful of that and don't wear those same shoes into Jewel Cave because better safe than sorry. And, you know, you got to keep the bats safe. My favorite. But I think it's uh, the perfect time to wrap things up with Jewel Cave National Monument. Um, Let's share what our favorite part of this national monument is. I think for me, it was mostly about learning some of the most incredible facts I've ever learned at a national park site. And that includes the fact that Jewel Cave is a breathing cave. I had never Mm, heard that term before. Not only was it fascinating to learn about, but it also just felt, felt great. Physically. It and for it hot. to be that big and be yeah. a breathing oh, yeah. cave. Yeah, to be breathing like that. And then also the Jewel Cave, like, dancing club thing, I think is <laughs> absurd yes. and wonderful. And I love... People the, are really I missing out. Like, I, yeah, like oh, whoever, like, right. a local, like, um, restaurant business, like, Jewel you cave really... Club. Jewel Cave Dancing Club. Like, do it. Yes. Get it. Let's have fun with it. I really admire the audacity of the two of... Like, the cave discoverers who wanted to create this dance club in a cave. It's outrageous and... Beautiful. Just very creative. It you know? really is. Um, it didn't work out. Marketing at its finest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, true. So, this place is just filled with that. And you learn about it on the tour and in the visitor center. And I walked away feeling so informed and delighted. And it was really fun. So, yeah. I would say that type of stuff was my favorite. 
part about Jewel Cave. And there's definitely a couple things that you need to bring. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So if you're going to Jewel Cave and you're presumably doing a cave tour because you need to, there's, you know, you got to do that. What do you bring at every cave tour or any, every cave? It's pretty much across Layers. the board. Layers. <laughs> Layers, yes. Um, because like we said, it's about 49 degrees. It's chilly. It might it might feel good if you're going there in the dead of summer, but still, like, bring some light layers at least. You want to be comfortable in there because you do spend a good amount of time on the cave tours. Even the shortest cave tours are like an hour and a half. Yeah. So you're going to want to make sure that you're you're not freezing. And I swear we're going to take this again is at least yeah. one liter of water. Bring water. Bring, I mean, obviously, any physical activity, but again, it kind of, you're doing, you're like going up and down stairs. You're squeezing the passageways. It's... More exhausting than you might think initially, so be prepared for that. Also, the proper footwear, shoes or boots with good, firm grip, because the surfaces are very uneven, to say the least, and you don't want to be slipping and sliding and, like, crashing into the walls or banging your head on the ceiling or anything like that. So Yeah, definitely not. Whatever you can do to come in physically prepared and comfortable is, is really pivotal here. Now, between the talk of Jewel the Singer... Snow White, Whiskey, and Shimmering Crystals. I'd say this episode has been a huge success. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's fitting because Jewel Cave National Monument is a gem in the National Park Service. Yeah, nicely said. A a literal gem. You've been listening to Parklandia, a show about national parks. Parklandia is a production of iHeartRadio. Created by Matt Kerouac, Brad Kerouac, and Christopher Haziotis. Produced and edited by Mike Johns. Our executive producer is Christopher Haziotis. Our researcher is Jesslyn Shields. A special thanks goes out to Gabrielle Collins, Crystal Waters, and the rest of the Parklandia crew. And hey, listeners, if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people like you find our show. You can keep up with us on social media as well. Check out our photos from our travels on Instagram at Parklandia Pod and join in on the conversation in our Facebook group, Parklandia Rangers. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And as always, thank you for listening. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.